0: is Space Waffles, a Star Wars podcast.
1: Zoraida, thank you so much for joining me today to talk Kiss the Girl. I'm very excited. Thank you. So you and I met through Star Wars, and I feel like we hear this question a lot with Star Wars, so I'm going to move it over to The Little Mermaid. Tell me your Little Mermaid story.
0: My Little Mermaid story goes when I was three years old, my grandmother, who was living in the United States, she was living in New York, and I was living in Ecuador, she sent over VHS for my birthday, and I watched it, and then I re-watched it back when you had to like wait to rewind and the entire VHS. And like the impatience that a three-year-old has when you're like, I just want to hear those songs again. And I used to tell people that's how I learned how to speak English, because by the time I went to preschool, by the time I went to kindergarten... I like I picked up the language very easily, which is my own mythology. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's what I tell people. Um, Listen, it can't hurt. Yeah. And it's just always been one of my favorite stories. When I realized as a teenager that it was based on the Hans Christian Andersen, I looked at the original one and I was like, this is depressing. Thank you, Disney, (laughs) for the Disney treatment. But yeah, I just—I guess it started a lifelong obsession with all things for people and for
1: So let's talk Kiss the Girl, which is a romance novel modernization adaptation of the Disney version. Yes. So, yeah. so there's like a certain structure in place, a concept, but beyond getting that inspiration from the Disney film, did you bring any kind of other inspirations into writing it?
0: I did. There are a lot of ways that you could go with a Little Mermaid adaption, right? Are you going to go the nautical route? or right? she could be a hotelier heiress, right? Or like a cruise, like her dad could own like the biggest cruise line in the world or whatever. There are many different entry points into a contemporary retelling. And I should say that this series, the Meant to Be series, is a collection of standalone, so you don't have to read them in order. Mine is the third one. The first two are Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast retellings. And so it's just contemporary, millennial, zillennial, I'm not really sure, young women finding their strengths and their loves. And at the heart of it is a romance. So I went the musical route because I love a musical. I'm trash for a musical and spectacle. And I grew up in the early aughts that, you know, that the crook of the 90s and the 2000s and for me, it was the Spice Girls and Britney Spears. And I grew up mostly with Latin media. We didn't really watch, I didn't really, like the only things I watched that were English TV were whatever was on PBS or, you know, WB11. It's free because we didn't always have cable. But so, like, but the Spanish language televisions were always on. And so, it was Shakira and all the Latin bands, the bands from Latin America, the RBD. And so, all these groups. Selena, right? And so all of those stars really went into shaping the idea of, okay, what is like this family of musicians look like? So that's really where I brought in the inspiration. And of course she is, Ariel in my book is, she's Latina and so is Eric. So the,
1: this is probably like just on a sillier note because all of these different pop stars influenced you as a whole, with the Siren Seven or each of them like based on one pop star in particular, or was it just a vibe all around?
0: Like in my head, I was like, what if Selena had like five six sisters, <laughs> right? And they were all a pop group, right? You saw that with the Osmonds and the Jackson Five, right? Like family ensembles, menudo. And they weren't families, but they were like all these groups were put together by the ones that were put together by studios. They were just these massive ensembles. So I didn't think of them as individual stars. I thought of them like just a, a composition of like what a what-if question. Like what if Selena had sisters and they were all in a group, right? Because she did play, Selena did play with her brother and sister, but like what if there were six of them <laughs> instead of just three? So when it comes to adapting a story this
1: well-known, how do you decide which parts to keep and then which parts to really rework
0: the way that generally ip works with disney is you turn in your outline and they approve it and then you write it there were key scenes that i was like i need to have this in here and on some level it is very true to the beats of the original Disney the little mermaid but I wanted to add things that weren't there that gave us a little bit more room for Ariel and Eric to actually fall in love. I love insta-love. I, you know, as a romance writer, (laughs) I love all the tropes. Before we got on this call, I told you I was very easy to please as a fan. (laughs) And so there were the things that I wanted to keep. I wanted to keep the kiss the girl moment where I figured out a way to... It looked a little different in the first draft, um, which I'll tell you in a second. And I wanted to keep the moment where she blows up with her father and she fights with her father. So those are, those are really important. And it gets an approval from Disney. But they also say, like, we would like this reference. And we. so they also like, encourage you. I know some people don't like too many Easter eggs. This is Disney's, an adaption of Disney's The Little Mermaid. So that's what you're going to get. Like, you're going to get 70 million Easter eggs. And... I transformed every character of the movie into the book, which I love, in my own way. Even Chef Louis. I just like, some of them were like,
1: some of them, they share a name. So I'm like, okay, that's who this is. But then for some of them, it only clicked a couple chapters later. And I was like, oh, so then that's what kind of got me like, how do you know,
0: like, which things you want to.
1: So what did the original kiss the girl moment
0: look like? It was, it was basically in a pool with floaties. And so it goes pretty much the same way. But then we were like, okay, we really want a boat scene. And so I thought about it and I really like what I came up with. So I hope that when people read it, they're like, yeah, this is a good moment. This is like the kiss the girl moment. As That was really fun to to add in a later stage of the book that wasn't originally in my first outline.
1: Because as it is, like as it is in the book, now it has that scale that the musical number mm-hmm. does. Yeah, now it has mm-hmm. a scale. Yeah, I guess we'll leave it there. I don't want to spoil it. But so, you so we were talking before we started about the new movie, which had a surprising parallel, I think, with this that I only noticed like after I saw the movie. But first things first, what did you think of the new movie?
0: Oh my God, I cried the instant the credits, like not the credits, the title card started. I was in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago with some of my friends celebrating one of my best friend's birthday. And so it was like on the day of her birthday. And we went to a movie theater. We got, like I got a set drink, the Pims cup. I was like, got some Pims cup, a bucket of popcorn. And there were just like, the, we were probably some of the oldest people in the theater because there were a lot of like little kid birthdays too. It was a lot of oh my god, that's so cool, and so it was beautiful. Hallie Bailey's voice is incredible. It is, it's, it's such a. It feels like such a difficult song to sing. I was pleasantly surprised at Prince Eric because when I first saw the casting, I was just like, really? But he really was like he he bodied Prince Eric in a really wonderful, surprising way, and I love a Disney himbo so. He completely won
1: me over because I was the same. I was like skeptical. Mm -hmm. He definitely won me over. So the interesting parallel that I noticed, which obviously I don't think intentional, was that Ariel and Eric have time in Kiss the Girl. They have more than three days, and they have time to like bond over music, like over a shared interest. So can you speak of bringing that out because they don't really have that in the cartoon? Like their shared interest is each other.
0: Yeah, the shared obviously, of course, like you have that. Hour and thirty minute, like that ninety minute yeah. countdown, in most ro- romantic movies, and so that the thing that anchors them together is this idea of it's instant attraction, but there's also a curiosity there because in my book they spend one of those like whirlwind talking until four a.m. days or nights, and. I, I think that had to be, it had to be the case because they needed to, before, before the deal was struck with the father, Daddy Delmar, as I've been calling him. <laughs> so before that deal and before her deal with the Ursula figure, whose name is Odelia Garcia. So before all of that happens, I wanted them to have a really strong bonding moment. And that had to be through this sort of like, both of them are seeking something. He's obviously a dreamer and wants to write the perfect love song because he wants to find the perfect love. And she wants to find her voice and, but doesn't have the room to do that. And so they almost like, their first interaction is this liminal space that only like a rooftop bar in New York can give them. And so I, I just thought, like, what are the what are some fun romantic New York things that we could do? And those were I used to work in 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 nightclubs for about a decade before I decided to take a chance and quit my job and write full time. But that was like six years into my career already. I quit and I was like, all right, I'm done with the nightlife and wait and like going home at five a.m. So I felt like writing those scenes. It was almost like triggering. Like I was like, oh my god. There's always this character in this part. And so it, it, if it feels real, it's cause, cause they were like, so
1: building on that, then with, with Eric, he doesn't have much of the POV in the cartoon. So what was it like taking this point of viewless character, essentially and giving him all of this history and this motivation and kind of these dreams and goals?
0: Yeah. I think, I feel like Eric, if he had been given. He expresses that he wants something. He wants to feel love that like hits him. It feels like light, like he's struck by lightning. So he's very much, he very much vocalizes that in the movie. But then it happens for him right away, but we don't know more about him. Even though he's, to me, he's like the most personable of the Disney princes of that time period. Yeah. Except for the Beast. But we don't meet him as a prince. We meet him as Beast. But it's like Philip who, the charming who. It's For me, it's always been Prince Eric, like always and forever. And, and so giving him a point of view, I've written a lot of romance novels. And so I'm used to going, doing the dual point of view. And of course, like men in fiction, I feel like <laughs> romance novels are its own subgenre of fantasy, which is not to yeah. insult the, the male population, but there's definitely like something to to men written by women in romance novels that just feels different than than anything else even though you never want to make a broad stroke judgment and so writing his pov it's really like doesn't matter if this character is real it's like it matters what he needs to have and his backstory and his personality that complements what Ariel also needs. And so the two of them, to me, it's important that like the love interest, which is something that I also think about, thought about something writing like convergence for Star Wars, for the High Republic, right? Like what does this couple actually bring to each other? And so that's really how I ground my heroes because they have to be heroes. They have to be heroic in, in their actions and their words. And, and so having hit him, Giving him a POV chapters was very important.
1: And then for Ariel, she does feel very much like the Ariel we know and love, like a (laughs) hundred percent. She's got like her own, she's got her own quality to her. So what would you say is it that sets your
0: Ariel apart and makes her own Ariel? So I think Ariel has to have a lot of qualities. Like she's brave, she's curious, she's a dreamer. But I also think that I wanted her, and she's also stubborn, right? She's stubborn enough to fight with her dad and to have her secret hoarder cave. But at the same time, like it, it takes so much to leave your family and the world behind. So for me, that's a very easy metaphor as somebody who's an immigrant, whose mother is an immigrant. Right, you leave everything behind for the possibility of a different life or another life or something. And so I I think that my Ariel has all of those same qualities. It just means something different because of her real-life background, right? As opposed to being a mermaid, she comes from an immigrant Ecuadorian family. Mm-hmm. And so the the symbolism, it stops being symbolism, and it becomes something that's a little bit more literal when it comes to that in-between in-between world feeling of like coming from a place and being in another place so
1: pivoting to star wars for a second because we have mean, we have to. to we have to yeah. talk
0: convergence yeah. we have to ask as, yeah so, yes i feel like this is a long time coming because i didn't get to see you in celebration which is honestly i feel like
1: we're missing f- each other mm-hmm. but we are here now convergence was so <laughs> yeah Thank so you. you mentioned like these couples at the heart of it and it is two couples for me, even. Yeah, no, it's only one of them made it to the t- end. I think.
0: Yeah, don't get mad at me, LFL. But <laughs> yeah, to me, it's two couples. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yes. So we get it. We're seeing eye to eye on this. So if I didn't know that you wrote romance already, reading conversions, I'd be like, I need to see what else she's written because 100% woman women write romance. So what is it about writing romance and maybe a story that doesn't necessarily
0: call for it that appeals to you so much i think yeah and like i feel like this is going to be sound so twee but like i think that romance just makes a lot of stories better and this is not to say that a story needs romance like i know that there are lots of kinds of of love stories and different types of love and the way that people feel express love or show love and it doesn't always have to be physical and but for me like I'm specifically talking about romantic love in the stories that I write. And I think I gravitate to these stories and to want to tell these stories because I spent so much of my early time as a writer avoiding it just because I came from an undergrad. I never finished like my undergrad because I dropped out so I could write a novel, which did get published. So, well, there we go. It worked out. I got in trouble for like writing a book at the back of my one of my classes because my my clickety-clack was so loud and my teacher like reprimanded me and I was like oh like I should I I feel the inspiration so whatever but that's all to say I I think that it is a to me it's a really wonderful exploration of like what people want and what they're willing to do in order to get it right like Romance in itself is a transformation of every character and you can have transformations without romance. There are plenty of stories like that, but specifically in romance, you're taking two people who it's not that they're missing something. It's that they're missing each other, right? Like, and they become stronger when they're together, not because like, like I'm incomplete, right? They are, they become complete and then they're better because they have found somebody who makes them better as well. Because romance has also evolved as a genre since the 50s and 60s and the weird 80s and Fabio years (laughs) and the early 2000s. And I think like romance evolves as the readership evolves. And you have these characters, there's more consent on the page and everybody has their own motivation. Like I'm always interested in is like, in the motivation of each character before, before we get to the romance. So before they have to want something before they want their H-E-A, happily ever after. And I think that, I will say that I do think that Star Wars calls for romance because Star Wars is a love story. And it is only possible because of the tragic love story between Anakin and Padme. And without a love story, Star Wars wouldn't be possible. It would not exist. And it's like, it's the love that broke the universe, right? Right. And so I am so fascinated with it. And I think that the fans really love it because when I wrote my first, when when Lucasfilm contacted me about writing my first Star Wars novel, it was for A Crash of Fate, which was, a they're like, do you want to write a YA love story set in Galaxy's Edge. And I was like, yes, do you need my firstborn child? Like, here you <laughs> go. Thankfully, they just, I was just a regular contract. And so what I found was most of the, most of like the people reading it are coming to my book signings were like grown ass men who are like, I love this love story. And so it is, you don't, you, I never want to sell that kind of narrative short because I think it's a big part of why we return to this world. And it's like, why do we even fight in this galaxy if not to protect the things we love? And that was the key question in Convergence. It's like, why are these planets, what is going to save Irem and Arno? What's going to save them from each other? And the answer is each other. I love (laughs) that. i like, you're right. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's very idealistic. I 100% own that. Some people are like, love doesn't conquer all. And I'm like, yeah, but for six hours of this book, it can. But one of the people, one of these people in these couples does
1: carry around a magic sword. So maybe love can also conquer all in a Mm -hmm. world that has magic sword. I don't know. Absolutely. So when you got the call then for The High Republic, I know like publishing the timeline can be really long. It can be really like compressed. So had the book started coming out already?
0: Yeah, they were already, I think phase one was almost done. Um, and then I get a text from Mike Siglane being like, have you checked your email? And I'm like, no. Has your agent checked your email? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. I asked and there we had gotten the inquiry if I was free. And I was like, I will become free. I will make <laughs> free time somewhere. But yeah, they had already gotten started. And so we came in as... I think Lydia had already been signed up. And so I came in as like, as they were putting together the phase two additions to the original Luminous writers. And you got a chance to, because I know they've made a big thing since the
1: beginning about like mapping out the whole thing. But you obviously got a chance to develop these characters and stuff along with them. You weren't just slotted in.
0: Yeah, no. So there was like a world outline of like, this is what we need to happen And this is what your book needs to have. So I created the outline for the book. And I was like, okay, a war between planets. How do you s fantasy romance writer, right? Like, how do you solve the war between two kingdoms? Marriage Alliance. I think I had been reading a book about like Europe, the Spanish monarchy, right? And and I'm like, oh yeah, they these people like the the Catholic kings like reconquered Spain. By, by getting married and joining forces. And, and so I felt like it's, it was just such an obvious thing that needed to happen because that also creates a huge new mess and people who on both sides are for it and against it. So I was like, this is just natural conflict. And I did say, I did warn them, like they know when they invite me to something that it has to have a love story. So. We have to talk Axel Greylark for a second. I feel like it's not
1: it's not you and me if we don't talk about Axel.
0: Hey, right. I'm not wearing my Axel necklace. I have a Grey Lark name nameplate that is somewhere in my bag.
1: I feel like you write a rogue really well, like Hollow Crown duology as well. Thank Heartland.
0: you. Love that trailer, a I'm
1: rakish looking. rogue with a heart of gold.
0: <laughs> What's the inspiration writing a character like that? Why do you like Damaged Men? I don't know. I can fix him. I think that, this is me you're talking to. I'm in the same place. Like, I think that I'm really attracted to that archetype because some of my favorite archetypes are very serious women who are like a little bit tough, like they have a chip on their shoulder. They're a little jaded. And so they're counter, I think in archetypes and in counterparts, if you have this like very serious jedi which is what i started with gela and gela had been she had been named and like she was a jedi that was up for grabs and i was like i like her i'm gonna flesh her out and like she was always supposed to be impulsive is not the right word but like she acted she impulsive yes she was always supposed to be a little bit impulsive even though she it led to her making mistakes but i made her like her impulsive nature grounded in the need to be to do the right thing right away as opposed to because she wants like victory and glory and things like that and so the natural counterpart to that is somebody who flagrantly breaks the rules and does not give a flying can i curse (laughs) Um, go ahead yeah who just like does not give enough like about the rules or what should be done and so I was like here you go Axel's name was something his original name was something like it was too Lord of the Ringsy, and so Mm -hmm. they were like no I gotta this is too fantasy and so his so I just like I just have I have like word bubbles like I have a notebook full of word bubbles until I found his name and I was like okay that sounds like a good rogue name Uh, that's how I thought about that's how I thought of winding it down now with
1: Back to kiss the girl. What is the part, what is the bit of this that you are most excited for people to discover? Do you have a favorite bit that you're excited for people to see?
0: I think I'm really excited for people to see the their meat cute, which I have been thinking, because, you know, she the girl saves him, right? She The girl saves the day. And she's not saving him from drowning, but she's definitely saving him from calamity and losing something that's very important to him and so that entire sequence it's like in act one is i kept going over it and over it sorry i kept going over it and over it making sure that it felt like this like 360 moment of they meet and they have instant chemistry and they have to figure out what why they have this instant chemistry And that whirlwind, very long date until the sun comes up. So that's actually, that was my favorite sequence to write. And just like all of the Easter eggs, I hope that people tag me when they get to them. I felt like I was like writing in song lyrics because I do consume so much pop music. I've consumed so much pop music in my life that I feel like everything's like, A pop song somehow, and I was I was I wasn't watching Daisy Jones in the Six when I was writing this, but because it hadn't come out yet. But when I watched Daisy Jones, I was like, oh man, it would be so cool if Disney made this and like wrote all my songs, which they did to to Taylor Jenkins Reid and Daisy Jones. Like they took some of like the lines that she had written in the book, and they were song titles in in the show. So that, that was really cool. I have a brother who's a musician and he loves Star Wars. He's like, my Star Wars trust. I'm like, what do you, you want to see from XYZ? Or like, what is your favorite thing about? So he's like, I pull him and he's a musician. And so he answered a lot of my questions about what it's like to create something. Because it's such a different, completely different brain than novel brain. Right. Songwriting is a completely different skill set. And I just can't hear the beat, the, the melody in my head. But he can. Like, he just hears melodies. His band is called The Dreamland Fire. He actually has a song that I think is a Raylo song, even though he won't admit it's a Raylo song. It's called <laughs> Twin Flame. I'll link that below. Yeah. yeah. Raylo thing. <laughs> and he loves Acer, really. Like, Ray is his favorite. Taking a lot from that is just putting that into the book. It's a different kind of way to be creative. And that was, like, the challenge. So I hope that like when people read my song titles, they're like, that could be a song because they were really fun to, to name. I just like, I know this in my heart that if
1: Siren 7 was a real thing, what I was going to put up, that would have been, that would have been it. I would have been upset. Oh my God. Did you have a favorite Spice Girl? Okay. So I really like Baby Spice, but everybody told me I had to be Scary Spice because I had curly hair and I'm like, do we want to examine where this idea came from? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like, I, Baby Spice, I just vibe with the most.
0: Yeah, Baby Spice was adorable. I love, I was Ginger Spice. And this past Comic-Con, Comic-Con 2022, was with Kevin Scott, George men, and Kristen Baver. And we were hanging out after a very long Comic-Con day. And somehow we got to talking about the Spice Girls. And I was like, so yeah, I'm, I was like, because I, I think I was trying to connect to a British culture. Yeah, sure. sorry just kidding please don't drag me and i think i said something like which spice girl are you and i think we decided george was baby and me kevin and kristen were ginger spice i love that i like that <laughs> i feel like i feel like now at
1: like a future celebration there needs to be like a jedi spice girl mashup cosplay oh
0: my god i would love that I Should figure out who the other high republic authors <laughs> who their spice girl is That's fine. We can sort them. We can sort to into their Spice spice Girl category. category. So that's just really fun.
1: (laughs) So what is next for you? You've got Kiss the Girl.
0: And what else? I have Kiss the Girl. Also, oh wait, I will say there's like a Star Wars reference in this book. And it's not super overt, but it's like a line in one of the interstitials. So I hope people find that one. I'm deeply Uh, ashamed because I think I missed it. It's just like, yeah, it's like a gossip column headline. What was what's next? The thing that's next. I'm working on my next adult novel. It's called. Oh man, I'm gonna get the title wrong because we keep changing it. It's uh, the Fall of Rebel Angels. Ooh, and it's about a fallen angel who's part of Lucifer's rebellion, and his punishment for their failed rebellion is to fall for eternity, for thousands and thousands of years. So he's been falling for like four or five thousand years, and. every hundred years he lands on earth and he has a week to find his wings and his punishment stops but he always fails and now it's like 2019 or circa now and he lands he he gets sucked out of that cycle early and it's because he lands in this woman's garden and she has been accused of either murdering or having something to do with her ex-lovers disappearance and she has the power to make a magical drug so she can't leave the city and she has to prove her innocence and so they team up so they the clock starts right away seven days clear my name hide my wings and it is the weirdest book i have probably written to date but if you liked My Magical Realism, The Inherence of Arcadia Divina, this is more fantasy, but it's in that same style. And I'm really excited for that. I also have, it was my year of mermaids on September 26th. I have an anthology called Mermaids Never Drown, which is the second book in a series of anthologies. The first one was Vampires Never Get Old. And so the second one, Mermaids Never Drown, comes out then. We have just a lot of YA authors writing mermaid stories. So it's really fun collection and I really love anthologies because you get a snippet of everyone's writing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm writing a million things and then the next High Republic thing. So if everybody wants to keep up with you, where can they find you if they don't follow? Preferably on Instagram at Zoraida Solo. And my website is ZoraidaCordova.com. Those are really my two places. I have a PO box. I know people have like stickers and things. that They're always like, where can I send this? So there's a P.O. box on my website where you can send things like that this is just me shamelessly asking for swag and gifts but it's fine and then hopefully I'll see people at conventions next year nothing is concrete I'm already like let me come let me go to let me go to these events all right awesome thank you so much this was
1: fun for me I hope it was fun for you
0: yeah